0: future, your host, I invite you to join me as together we experience a future quake. Oh, there
1: are new dreams, crowding out old realities, there's revolution, sweeping like a fresh new breeze. Let the old
0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I'm Tom Bionic. And we have a new week of shows here on Future Quake. Indeed. And we've got an incredible guest this yes. week.
2: Very, uh, it's going to challenge a lot of people. Uh, we have Jason Burmis, He's a producer of a movie called Loose Change. Uh, they produced it on a $3,000 budget. One and of the biggest documentaries
0: ever seen in yes. the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, about nine one one, and uh But he's become somewhat of a celebrity And citizen journalist mm-hmm. uh, He now has a new one coming out called Fabled Enemies mm-hmm. And uh, we're going to talk to him about uh, What our citizen responsibilities are In confronting the
2: global yeah. elite uh, He's not coming necessarily from a position of faith-based no, perspective No, he's not a Christian, folks But I he, think there are two great things that you can glean from this One of which uh, is his research And the other thing is the fact that uh, He lets on, he talks a little bit about uh how Christians are perceived. Right, and that's why we wanted to know is to see
0: uh, as a spokesperson for his generation. Yes. How are we perceived as evangelicals? Mm-hmm. How can we reach people better? Mm-hmm. And also learn a little bit from him and his work. So, yeah. but no further ado, here's Jason Burmas, and then we'll be right back on Future Quick. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Future Quake Show. This is Dr. Future. And this is Tom Bionic. And we have an incredible guest with us uh, this week, someone we wanted to have on Future Quake for quite some time. Uh, We are honored to announce that we have Jason Burmas, who was one of the producers of Loose Change, the fabled documentary, uh, with Louder Than Words, LLC, and also the uh, producer of a new documentary that's just come out called Fabled Enemies. And today we're going to talk about citizen responsibilities in confronting the global elite and their deceptions and effective strategies and the Christian response. And, uh, Mr. Burmas, I just want to tell you it's a really an honor to have such an esteemed person as you on our show, uh, and I just welcome you to Future Quake.
3: Well, thanks for having me.
0: Uh, and, uh, you know, you're, you're a person uh, who currently may be one of the most influential people now on the planet, and I'm not exaggerating <laughs> uh, with that. Um, although your status, I know, is well known to uh, many uh, of our listeners here, uh for, for other listeners we have, we uh, we pulled a different circle as well in our, our current location here in FutureQuake. Uh, could you share very briefly a little bit about your background and how it led to the beginnings of your involvement with the field of documentary filmmaking?
3: Sure. Um, you know, I was just a, a regular guy. I wasn't very involved in uh, politics, I guess, that, you know, I was interested in that stuff in kind of high school. I liked the History Channel and that sort of thing, but it didn't go beyond that. I was a normal, I don't know, 90s pop culture junkie. I just, you know, graduated high school, I was in college, and uh, 9-11 happened. And uh, I guess it kind of changed me a little bit. I bought into the official version uh, with all the 24-hour news network just drilling into your heads, 19 Muslims, Bin Laden's the devil, we need to go into the Middle East. And it did work on me. I mean, after the first week where literally every station had the news, uh, it was really the birth of the 24-hour news network. Uh, more people than ever were watching CNN Headline News, Fox News. I was watching Fox News, MSNBC, whatever I could get my hands on, because I wanted to know what was going on in the world. I mean, I was in upstate New York. I've been, you know, from New York all my life. Uh, I go to the city quite often, once or twice a month. Uh, I was, you know, I'm in a college town where most of the kids are from, you know, Long Island or the right. city or
0: the mm-hmm.
3: Queens, and it was just a really, you know, dramatic thing. So... Basically, it wasn't a while until I actually started to question the official version. And I would say it was about six months to a year afterwards. uh, It was the run-up to the Iraq War, and something just was not sitting right with me. I could see the ulterior motives. I could see they were beginning to lie. I didn't know what it was, but something was rubbing me the wrong way, and I didn't know how to address it. Well, I went to my old high school, and that was, geez, it, it was for a men's night basketball game go play with some of my friends who had graduated, and now they were teaching there, and some of my old teachers, and I went to my old locker room, and in the urinal of, uh, you know, where I used to suit up for games and everything was Osama Bin Laden's face, and I thought to myself, man, this is really bad that I am this guy's face, I mean, this is a school for 12 to 18-year-olds, and... You know, I, I grew up in the, you know, an 80s era where it was Cold War, where we did duck-and-cover drills. There right. nuclear threat, but uh-huh. I never saw a chaff in the schools, you know. I never saw any anti-Soviet propaganda everywhere. And it's
0: I, almost like late thinking, 30s hey, Germany or something.
3: Exactly. And something uh-huh. just just full hit me right in the face, and I was like, whoa, uh, I need to... Find out whether or not they're telling the truth because they're acting really shady. I know my government doesn't have the best track record. You know, I, I, you know, I was somewhat aware, but not that aware. So I went home and I all I wanted was a one day summation, a timeline of that day's events to see if there was really any big holes in the story. And I came across this website called www.911timeline.net by Mark R. Elsis, and it was just a 40-page synopsis, 12 a.m. To 12 a.m. on 9/11. And so many things didn't make sense. Uh, you know, from the air response to NORAD and the FAA and what they had to say. But how long uh, after one okay. 911 was
0: that that you that you went there?
3: What's that? How long ago was yeah, it? Yeah, how, how long
0: how long after the actual 9-1-1 event happened did you go to that website? Was it a few weeks uh, it was or?
3: Probably, no, it was actually months. It was uh, it was at least six months after the attack. I brought into to the and I had. Earlier in my life, uh, almost joined the military, the National Guard to you know get extra money for for college. My sure. buddy was doing it, he, like my brother growing up. He ended up having to go to Iraq, spend uh, I think two tours there. Got blown up in a Humvee, lost hearing in one of his ears. I'm just glad that he's back, but I'm so glad I didn't do it. But I had thought about you know I'd already taken the ASVAB test and scored like a 91, so right. I was I was thinking about doing it <laughs> and. uh you know, I thank God I didn't. So I come across this thing, and this is blowing my mind, you know. I'm just a regular guy at this point. I'm still going to school. I have pretty much a full-time job. I'm taking care of myself in my early 20s, and the world is just a totally different place all of a sudden. There's anthrax in the mail. All of a sudden, I'm looking at my government in a totally new light. So I start really studying into the the events of uh, 9-11. And, I mean, I go pretty deep. I, I start getting on the file-sharing networks, picking up my own news things, seeing what I can confirm Uh, burning my own discs, start talking to people about it, handing them out. I was very upset, you know, and that's what really in the long run led me into what I'm doing now. I went to school for graphic design, 3D modeling, uh, you know, Photoshop, Illustrator, that sort of thing, Mm -hmm. Premiere. And I just lucked out, guys. I mean, I guess there is something to be said about the law of attraction or, you know, you know, maybe we have a destiny. I, I don't really know. I'm not that much of a, you know, philosophical guy or, you know, that religious where I, I know exactly why it happened. But basically I was in my pizza place that I was still working nights in, and I was doing graphic design by day out uh, right across from the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, New York. I did a lot of work for them. And uh, my delivery guy, I mean, it's late night. I work on a bar strip. He's like, you know, I know the two guys that did the uh, the loose change movie, the original one. And at this point, Loose Change isn't big. YouTube's not big. Google Video isn't even around. This is in uh, early 2005. I think it was the, the just before the summer of '05. Hmm. And uh, he goes, yeah, I know Dylan and Corey. They actually went to high school with me here in Oneonta. And Oneonta was where I went to college. And that's hmm. where I was working right out of. So he's just like, okay, uh, can you get me, you know, can you get me to talk one of them? He calls up Corey. Corey comes in uh, the next night. I talked to him for an hour. Uh, The next day he comes over with a rough script for the second edition. And he's like, I want you to edit through this for me. So I'm literally editing through the thing uh, on the bus ride to work in the morning at 7 a.m. Later in the week, I met Dylan. Uh, They came over. I had a lot of footage they hadn't seen. And all of a sudden I was part of the team.
1: Wow. You know? Mm.
3: Yeah. So we put out the second edition. And uh, our real big break there was even before it was out, we had just finished the DVD uh in christmas right before 06 it was we had worked on it all that summer and we went to a cindy sheehan event at the college and we made sure we got there really early so we got the front row we were using our our camera that we had just used for the second edition uh i had printed up some uh investigate nine eleven shirts just the first ones uh even before the ones you see now that i designed that are all over the place and you know, we got to talk to Cindy really quick. We gave her a DVD, but better yet, all these local media people were there. And this local Fox guy comes over to us, and he's, and he's looking at us, and he's like, "So, so what's the deal with the shirts, guys?" And he starts interviewing Dylan, and he does not think for one second that we have an ounce of credibility. Mm-hmm. You know, right away with Dylan, and he's like, "All right, well let's let's get past some of these conspiracy theories you're talking about." And I was just, I looked at him, I said, "Look, he's telling you the science right now." <laughs> I'm like, you get me on camera, I'll tell you exactly. You know, you want to you hear things you can look up right now? And he puts me on camera, and I rattle it off. And Corey, was a veteran, I mean, he went to both Afghanistan and Iraq. He did join the military, the third mm-hmm. one of us. He, gets and he talks, and the guy's like, well, uh, I'll take your DVD. And we didn't even have DVDs printed at this point. We had three burned DVDs with us. We had one for us uh, just in case. We had one for the media in case they wanted it, which we lucked out, and they did, and one for Cindy, which we gave to her. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, she's watched it since as well. So nothing happens that night. The guy, Doug Coke, kind of smears Cindy, and we're just, like, bummed, you know. He's not going to do anything like right. this. We're well, we're in Dunkin' Donuts the next day, and he calls us up, and he's like, he's like, oh, my God, man. He's like, I can't. He's like, what do you want me to put on the news? He's like, we're going to run it as a feature story for the next two days. Wow. What do you want us to put in?
1: Amazing. Jeez, yeah.
3: Wow. Uh, and this is. Fox, this is, I mean, every Sunday night we'd get together, uh, you know, for Simpsons and Family Guy and whatever, our animation domination. And, you know, we see uh-huh. this guy on the local news because they're advertising it the whole time, and we're just, like, totally blown away. This is before 9-11 Truth has hit any kind of mainstream credibility. The only thing that was ever talked about was that Lepentigate book uh, by Thierry Masson, but that was, you know, almost nothing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he airs it. And, again, this is before YouTube and it's just a huge smash on the internet. So we crashed their servers, I believe, three times. So not only do we get the oh. two days, they have record emails, but they have to do a third story on us because of the response and how big it got. And right from there, man, we just we took off. I mean, we put out the movie within a few months, I wasn't doing graphic design anymore and Corey wasn't doing construction and we were traveling the country burning D V D well not just burning, but we were getting them done in So we didn't just have them in cases, Mm -hmm. so we could always hand them out for free as well. Mm -hmm. And we gave away hundreds of thousands of DVDs. We made mainstream press all over, and we really brought a huge awareness to 9-11 Truth. I mean, Mm -hmm. I wish we could have done more. I I still press to do more, but, you know, in a nutshell, that's what, you know, my life's been like.
0: Yeah, Yeah. it's it's never been the same since then. Um, When the first one was done, I understand you got on board for the second edition of Loose Change when was the first edition done and what was the immediate impact of that first edition before you began work on the second one?
3: Sure. You know, I had kind of followed the making of the first edition without really knowing exactly what was happening. Dylan was in DC at the time. So I had figured this is some politician or bureaucrat's kid who knows what's up, who's putting this together. Boy, way off, (laughs) you know, in actuality, Dylan had moved down to D.C. to be closer to Corey when he was uh, out of the military. And Mm. so he went down to D.C. and Corey was basically in Iraq while it was being made. And Dylan was making the first edition kind of just on his own. Phil Jahan of Let's Roll 911.org has helped a little bit. And, you know, Corey just got on as a producer because Dylan needed help with, you know, getting it printed up and this and that. I mean, Corey really didn't have much of an opinion. He started to watch the movie. And just like everybody was getting blown away. And at the same time that he was putting this together, I had already done so much research on on the subject. I was kind of just waiting for it to come out. So finally, you know, Let's Roll posted that it was out. I downloaded it. I said, wow, this is the one that's going to be on the History Channel. This is the one that can actually wake up the masses. Hmm. I'm like, mm-hmm. I basically, the first time I said it, I want to be part of this project,
0: wow.
1: you know,
3: without knowing anything. and. Like I said, those guys went to high school in this town. So now, had, so, had, going,
0: had a lot of people seen the first edition before you started on the site? Was it already a big hit then? or really? was it? I
3: mean, again, this was for Google or YouTube. So in 2005, YouTube was just breaking out, but you could only have 14-minute clips. Google Video didn't exist, so there was no way that you could just sit down at your computer and one straight shot watch a full movie unless right. you had an Internet connection and you knew where to get, like, a WMV file or an AVI. Basically, if you knew how to use Morpheus and Kazaa... You know, Loose Change was kind of an underground success in that regard, but it didn't sell a bunch of copies. It didn't make, you know, a huge awareness. But within the movement, people knew what it was, you know. And with the Internet and the media exposure we got and the fact that now we could put the movie up for absolute free in its entirety and everybody could just go to the most popular website in the world, Google, and watch it for free, it just put us on another level.
0: Wow. Yeah. Now, in, in hindsight, and, and you've made several editions since then, that you've included other late-breaking information and refined it and everything. Do you have any estimate of how many people in total have seen the in any part of the Loose Change series up to date?
3: Uh, over over 100 million, easy. I mean, I would say hundreds of million throughout the world. I mean, in, on the fifth anniversary of 9-11 alone, uh, the second edition was aired in 14 countries, including the History Channel, in, uh, I believe it was in New Zealand and Australia, and you can watch the trailers for that there. Wow. I mean, it's Final Cut's been aired in Sweden. I mean, it gets mainline hmm. television in other countries. And the second edition is really, we took the best 30 minutes from the 60-minute documentary that was Loose Change, and we made an hour-and-a-half documentary. And then the Final Cut is really a whole new movie. I mean, I encourage people to check out the Final Cut first and then check out the second edition because the Final Cut is a little bit longer. It's a little bit more refined. It has a lot of different information. Mm
1: -hmm. And then
3: the film that I wrote and directed and put out with uh, Alex Jones uh, through Infowars.com, Fabled Enemies, is an entirely new film about 9-11 as well. This one really just, instead of going over the physical anomalies and, uh, you know, just some of the blatant lies, it really goes into the international intelligence Mm -hmm. connections of, you know, the Israeli Mossad, Pakistani ISI, uh, the continuity of government program in this country. And how 9-11 actually was executed and who did it.
0: Well, and, and, and it's obvious now that you have hit your niche. You have seen whatever God created you for and what you're doing now. But but going back to this movie that has seen over 100 million people in the world have seen, when you first started work on, on the second edition, you and your other gang, how old were all of you all?
3: Well, I was the old man at the ripe old age, I believe, of 25 uh, when I first started it was either yeah. twenty five or twenty six.
1: Okay.
3: And uh they let's see, Corey was when Dylan, he was just really eighteen or nineteen when he started like the first one for hmm. for sure. He was he was literally out of that and I'd say Corey got involved more around that second edition time, so maybe hmm. twenty one, twenty two.
0: So so were you the wealthy underwriter that provided the enormous budgets that you used for that?
3: Uh I wish, man. I mean unfortunately <laughs> I was just in the working 60 hours a week trying to make my bills however yeah. because of my vast knowledge and the fact that i did work a regular day job and it was in print i was able to make up all sorts of goodies including the packaging for the original one sure. before we had a factory mm-hmm. you know i could print out the dvd covers and you know i could do all this mm-hmm. design and stuff like that so you know i guess i i had a uh, I had a little bit out, but I could. I can't say I underwrote anything. I mean, well, there was nothing to underwrite. Well, I mean, well, like, I what, mean, we got lucky.
0: What kind of budget would you all have for a production like that that you did, the second second edition?
3: Oh, the second edition was something we did it for two or three grand maybe. I mean, two or I three would grand. come home from work before my second job, and Dylan would come over for a few hours working on the thing on his half-broken compact laptop in a beanbag chair. And then, like I said, Sunday nights, uh, we wouldn't only just get a, get together for animation domination but after that we would watch the latest cut of the movie and sit there and write notes and then go over it too so, so i well, mean you know
0: i want to make sure i understand this you got a few guys in their late teens up to early 20s with almost no cash but don't have a primary incentive of making money they they they're trying to actually impact the world and they produce something that over 100 million people have seen including on regular tv in countries all over the world it sounds like to me that other people listening out there don't really have any excuse to not get involved and try to change the world themselves, do they?
3: No, and, you know, that's <laughs> one of the biggest that out is out there is that you can't change the world, you can't have an impact, and you can't have an effect. Well, if I listened to the, I don't know, you know, 20,000 people in my life that I came across before, you know, Loose Change was a success telling me that same exact thing, I mm-hmm. wouldn't be where I am today. I mean I literally pounded into every friend I had. I lost a lot of friends. I pounded into every family member I talked to. You know, my family didn't look at me the same way for quite some time. Uh but they all came around. You know, I I was the guy who was literally handing out before loose change little CDs that I'd made of my, you know, myself uh to people on the bus, you know, to mm-hmm. ride to wow. work, cops and firemen and you know, mm-hmm. this is back in like 03 and 04 you know, on the run-up to the election when it's totally and completely unheard of. And I didn't care. I I said to myself, you know what? This stuff is real, and I love my country, and, you know, people can say what they want about me. And, I mean, one of of my proudest moments is probably uh, the extra on the second edition of Loose Change, where Dylan, Corey, and I go down to New York City. It's literally three of us. We have 50 uh, DVDs of the first edition with us. Mm -hmm. And it's the fourth anniversary of 9-11, and there's, like, maybe like five or ten other people that know, you know, something's wrong with 9-11 down there out of the thousands down there. And I just went up to people and I talked to them (laughs) and I got rid of those DVDs real quick and you can watch my confrontations with these people and I let them know, you know, I let them, I said, listen, this is the real deal. And by the next year, when the second edition had come out, I had over 2000 people, Rocking my investigate 9/11 shirt, and we handed out 10,000 copies of Loose Change in less than 90 minutes. So wow. I know I can have.
0: One. Oh my goodness! So so everybody really owes you a tremendous debt of gratitude, you and your compatriots, because you showed what could be done, and you didn't swallow this line of I'm I'm a, a little guy. I don't. I'm not an insider. I'm not a lead. I don't have lots of money in my pocket. Therefore, there's nothing I can do than sit on the sofa and complain and whine. You guys are about well,
3: well, to change to be the honest, world. Man, I, I just, nobody owes me anything. They owe their family and themselves if they have any kind of self-respect or self-love or they care about their country or their way of life to go and check this stuff out. I mean, you don't owe me anything. You owe it to yourself to know who you're voting for, to what you're spending your money on, to what your country is doing, to the genocide they're taking part in, to the torture, to the uh, evisceration of the Constitution and Bill of Rights. To the death of civil liberties at home. I mean, it's up to you, and and I mean, again, you should owe it to yourself. You should have enough self-respect that when you find out that the thing, unfortunately, the things that I'm talking about are very much a reality, that you need to do something and step up. And that doesn't mean you have to make a movie. Maybe you, uh, you know, you run for city council. You start change locally. You know, you start an organization. I mean, look at Luke Rudowski and We Are Changed
1: mm-hmm. in a matter of yeah.
3: two years. They have literally, I mean, gotten more footage of the political elite and the corporate elite entangled in lies, and you can see how uncomfortable they are. And that's another thing, you know, that I preached all the way on the run-up to, you know, the fifth and sixth anniversaries and continue to preach is if you want it bad enough, you can become the media. It's not that hard. You can go spend a 100 bucks on a digital camera right now that fits Mm -hmm. in your hand and go to, you know, Mm -hmm. one of these big – one of these conferences and get these guys on record and get hundreds of thousands, if not millions of views on YouTube, and then maybe if you're lucky, you know, a guy like Alex Jones or a guy like myself or maybe a better filmmaker, maybe like Robert Greenwald or something like that comes along, takes your footage, puts it in another film, and then millions of people see it. Well, You can have an yeah.
0: let me just summarize this uh before we move on into where we are right now uh on the on the loose change discussion and in say in hindsight who have been some of the more notable figures in politics or celebrities or other people that are influential in society that have responded to this product and what are the kind of th- who who are they and what are some of the kind of things they've said
3: um jeez i mean uh, from saying I loose one change one, I, mean, I know i know you're saying loose change so many. I mean, it's kind of mind-blowing from, you know, Charlie Sheen and uh, Rosie O'Donnell, who have given their mm-hmm. approval to, you know, legendary filmmakers like David Lynch, the guy who brought you, you know, Dune, mm-hmm. uh, you know, many other films. He did, uh, what was that series? It was, it was like the biggest series. It was based on, can't now, remember what it was. Now, haven't
0: people like in the Japanese parliament questioned these things because of what they've seen, like your products and, and also British parliament? From seeing the Michael
3: Meacher's seen it, and Michael Meacher tried to have a hearing with it and uh Fujita wow. over in the in the majority or the i'm sorry the m- minority uh party over in uh in Japan has also seen it i mean it's it's unbelievable it's mind blowing how yeah. many people have seen it how many people have contacted us you know Cindy sheehan there's another one she's seen it, she knows what's up i mean Kevin Smith, yeah. who's one of the you know my my hero filmmakers he's seen it he called it riveting i mean <laughs> I mean, it's it's flattering at some point. You wish that a lot more of these guys would get involved and speak up a little louder. Mm -hmm. But just to know it's kind of on that match level. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, you know, I talked to one of the lead singers, one of my favorite bands growing up, you know, two weeks ago because he's a fan. Mm -hmm. So it's it's pretty wild how it's gotten out there. But, you know, again, it's really not about a movie. It's about a movement. And I hope that these movies are just tools, hopefully, to not only get in people's heads, but also to say, all right, I'm in your head. Now you know a little bit about what's up. What are you going to do about it? Well, that's or, what are you going to step and acknowledge it. Or are you just going to sit back and you know let these you know monsters just control your lives?
0: Well, that's what I want to go into next year. Okay, because I want to ask you a really big question to get your arms around it. Something that you could go on for hours. But but for my listeners, and again, there's a there's a portion of our listeners in our particular audience that we reach that a lot of this is new to, even though we allude to it many times on our show, particularly uh, some time ago. Our newer listeners may not be as exposed to it. But um, how would you concisely summarize the problem that we now face as citizens of America and the fact, uh, in fact, the rest of the world's populations, regarding the elite forces that now control our government, our business, and our media establishments, and, and the reality that they choose to sell to us is what reality is, versus the disturbing truth that is now emerging, such as what you've exposed. How, how would you concisely describe that for people, that this is all new to?
3: Sure. I mean, it's cognitive dissonance. I mean, nobody wants to believe this stuff. I certainly didn't. I wrestled with it. I had nightmares at night, cold sweats, woke up a lot. I, I mean, I remember the first time that I watched Alex Jones's Road to Tyranny, and all I wanted to do was prove everything wrong. And unfortunately, I proved about 90% of it right over the next yeah. week. And it I was had the same
0: experience.
3: <laughs> yeah. Right. It's a it's a one. Let me tell you, it's not one that's uh, of comfort. However, as an adult, you know, as a grown up, you have to unfortunately uh, take your willful slothfulness. You know, this because that's what it is. It, it's it's being lazy. It's it's remaining in as much ignorance as possible. Not because you're ignorant anymore, but because you choose to be. And we face. A society now that cares more about, you know, the World Series, their football team, the Jets, the Giants, their iPods, their new iPhones, than they really do about, you know, their careers, uh, their relationships with their families, or their involvement in anything society has to offer that's not some kind of consumer product. If it's not something they're driving or something they're wearing or you know some toy, some power toy. It's, it's some video game. It's not for them. You know, they don't really care. However, unfortunately, it's, I mean, I think a perfect example is this bailout. Now, people were up, and rightfully so, but it's passed because nobody did anything. You know, four days later, it's still passed. People don't understand that, you know, in close, members of Congress, with literal martial law, that's troops on the street, if they did not pass this bill. So again, because of the slothful ignorance and really arrogance of the American people that everything's going to be all right, what happened with that bill? Well, we are basically letting them print $750 billion outwardly and another $150 billion on the back end that they really didn't tell you about for the same criminals that contrived this huge financial crisis where many people lost their homes uh, people's credits were ruined and this is just the tip of it you know food prices went up gas prices of course have only gone up since you know we've taken over these eurasian nations because it's a it's a simple matter of uh supply and demand if you control the supply you can demand whatever you like uh you know if other people have that same supply and are undercutting you yeah you have to lower Mm -hmm. your price i mean right now oils down to, I think, what, $70 or $80 a barrel, and I'm mm-hmm. still paying $3 at the pump? Right. What's up with that? Right. Well, obviously, it's a real game.
1: Right. So we,
3: we not only gave all this money back to these people, but we did something a lot more dangerous, that people are really going to eat in the next two to three years. And I, you know, I hope, again, your audience is really listening carefully right now, because if you have a home loan or any kind of loan to any of these banks that just took out this huge bailout, and I, I guarantee you the majority of you do, now, if you can't pay your mortgage, say, two years down the line, say the same thing happens. The economy actually does crumble. Dollars are meaningless. Banks go under. Well, now the government owns your home. All right. It's yep. not yep. a bank ownership. The government, now, instead of having to claim eminent domain and go through all sorts of loopholes. I was just thinking well, of that. yeah. Really, it. really easy.
0: That was their old way of doing it. Now they have something even cleaner to yeah. do it.
3: Well, not only is it cleaner, but it also works in another fashion. They'll say to you, okay, well, obviously we can't make, you can't make money. We don't want to take your home from you because, you know, you need to live somewhere. Come work for us on the weekends, Homeland Security or some new bureaucracy that they put together. And you'll work on a credit system, you know, if you have a student loan or a bank loan or any of that stuff. And you will literally be indoctrinated into the only jobs that are left available, and that is for the state.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And mm. Oh, it is just really scary how we've gone down this huge road of corruption mm-hmm. right in our face. Well, majority it, been, and people want to just act like, oh, it's they're just incompetent. No, right. it just makes you feel better to think they're incompetent. When you just scratch the surface of this stuff, you realize that these men and women are not only competent, they are vicious predators that want to take away our freedoms and bring in a tyrannical system where they rule at the top.
0: I'm sad to say if there's any incompetence there, it's in the citizenry uh, in that they well, don't speak take for action. Yourself, I, and sent they,
2: 600, I sent 600 faxes against this bailout. I
0: know. I sent a bunch of faxes, too, about it. We uh, we, we were working in conjunction with Mike Shedlock, better known as Mish uh Global uh, yeah. economic analysis, regular guest on our show, that uh, we were mentioned in the Wall Street Journal for uh, a big uh, action we all took together to try to stop the bailout. And we got initially good results on the first uh, vote from the House, but uh, they pulled in the big gun to that, you know, threatening the martial law. But the, the, uh, the, the, the big picture, uh, Jason, that I think, uh, you know, your, your crew, uh, Alex Jones, and even predecessors even beforehand, you talk about G. Edward Griffin, uh, people like Stan Monteith. Uh, who is a, who's a Christian man who for 15 years uh, has been uh, doing this kind of thing, um, has been exposing this kind of thing uh, largely on deaf ears. So, so the, the whole 911 situation, while it's horrific, it's only a symptom of a much, much bigger problem. When I look at uh, the, the kind of things that Alex Jones and you guys have shown looking at false flag operations going all the way back to the Gulf of Tonkin, and now we have you know government people admitting that nothing really happened there. It was all sold on a lie, and we had a war action that was happened that we cannot even we we can 't even show that an event happened to trigger giving uh, Lyndon Johnson the power to do what he did and Now it looks like a repeating uh j- just a a repeat of history over and over again so so this whole thing with nine one one it appears. With people like yourself opening the eyes of others, uh, suddenly we see that there's a whole different world going on and that we're being manipulated through our media, through what our government tells us. And, and, and the healthy degree of skepticism that our founding fathers originally had, we're now having to reinvigorate and overcome the limitations we had in our, our public school system and the indoctrination the government had in our training yeah. to try to recapture it. Uh, would you agree with me in that? that that's, that's sort of the big picture of our problem?
3: Yeah, I mean, we absolutely need to, in my mind, we need to, you know, not have a revolution, but a restoration of the Constitution and Bill of Rights, and have a constitutional republic again with checks and balances. We're the three branches of government, and a lot of people don't even know that there are three branches out there. You know, the judicial, the executive, and the legislative actually check up on one another. Mm -hmm. And people are prosecuted for their crimes. There's no longer this, you know, national security, national security. There'll be transparency again. And on top of that, I don't think that can happen until we finally own up to the fact that we need to take corporatism or special interests out of government. We used to have limitations on what these special interests could actually give to these politicians. But now, with the few holding the cards in many of these organizations, mm-hmm. they just give them whatever they want right So yeah. I think that we have to make government about the people again. It has to be we the people, you know the people uh you know I hate to use the analogy because it's been annoying to me. Uh, you know, the past couple of weeks, but we really need like a guy like the plumber run, you know, for local governor or mayor or something. You know what I mean? Right. We have to get back in or congressmen. I mean, there's a lot of congressmen per state. You can run in your district. So, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I want to see not I want to see an end to politicians becoming politicians so that they can just, you know, feed off of us and you know, corporatize America and take as much as possible, but I want them to have limitations on how long they can mm-hmm. serve and what they can take. You know, right. I don't think it's fair that politicians live as billionaires. You know what I mean? I want mm-hmm. somebody that's going to earn their paycheck, that's going to earn their 80 to 120 grand a year. You know?
0: Well, and, and I think we need to go even farther and start looking at our own personal lives and say, how much do we set ourselves up to have our worldview formed by people who have money? To buy influence to us. If you watch regular TV all the time, there was somebody spending lots of money to send you a message for every hour you watch television, whether it's a television commercial or whether it's the news, which is just a different form of commercial, uh, where our government is actually selling us information. Uh, we're always being programmed and all these kind of things, and the light bulb has to come on, and that's what we talk about on our show. Here we are on Christian Radio. Uh, We talk about these kind of things that you're talking about, uh, Jason, and uh, we're we're sort of almost out there on our own. There's a few people like Stan Monteith and others who, who are trying to do the same thing. But, uh, you know, large, largely the media, uh, whether it's uh, secular, Christian, whatever, mainstream, other, is just reinforcing those same kind of paradigms. And so uh, what what your work has done is said we need to pop that bubble and really be skeptical of what these people are saying that are trying to programming us. And then the second step is not to get all cynical about it, but to get up and do something about it. And uh, I just want to thank you about that, uh, for that. But I want to... Uh, to, to go to this related to the to the information or what what you all call the info war uh, in, in this particular struggle to uh, wake up the public to the real motives of the people who are in power and, and also a call to civic action to respond to it. who are some of the common people you know not the powerful the wealthy well to do with all sorts of resources, but the common folk that you think are the real heroes in this struggle recently, and what are the kind of things they're doing to to make a difference? I know you mentioned uh, We Are Change, and I know a lot of our listeners may not even be familiar with the scope of what they do, but could you mention them and a few other people that you think have really made a big big difference as examples?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a ton of organizations out there. Uh, You know, truthaction.org, they do a ton of street actions out in California to bring 9-11 truth to the masses. Uh, You know, I mentioned wearechange.org. They really got it started by taking that camera and they've gotten people from David Rockefeller to Joe Biden to Barack Obama to Hillary Clinton to Bill Clinton several times. I could go on. I mean, literally dozens and dozens of these guys, and that's headed up and founded by Luke Rudowski, who I knew before we released the second edition, somebody we met down in New York City who was doing street actions even with New York 9-11 Truth down there.
1: Hmm. I mean, he's
3: really my hero. And I mean, he does not... Play around. He's he's right in a person's face. Uh, I think one of the best examples is the 15 minute train ride with uh, Mayor Bloomberg where he grills him about the fact that he doesn't even want to get the uh, first responders the benefits they deserve after inhaling all that asbestos and glass and God knows what else that was in there. Barium, chromium, we could go on. So, I mean, he's a bulldog. He's one of my heroes. Alex Jones, you know, I guess he's one of the big dogs, but I wouldn't be in this if it weren't for Alex Jones, Alex Jones has really opened up a lot of doors for me and kept them open, mm-hmm. and I continue to enjoy working with him.
0: Now, you may call so, him a big you dog. Mean, you may call him a big dog, but he doesn't, to my knowledge, have any kind of big wealthy foundation behind him. He doesn't have oh, a no, Rockefeller, no, no. Or any of these guys, because, I mean, they're the very ones he's uh, speaking out against. So yeah. he, he's really a self made man, even though he's been very successful in what he does, right?
3: Oh, absolutely a self made man, and, uh, you know, I'm very impressed with his bi- business model. I spent, you know, a few months down there making my latest film with him. And, you know, like I said, he's a hero. When I saw him for the first time, like I said, on Road to Tyranny, I was like, oh, man, this guy's nuts. There's no way. I can't stand this what it is. And then I watched, you know, a lot of his stuff, and I'm like, oh, I never want to believe this. This can't be true. This is the worst. And, again, I'd look into it, and I'd be like, oh, my God. But one of the defining moments is when I watched – his first film, America Destroyed by Design, and he went down to Grand Canyon, and he was trying to explain to people that our national parks had been given over to the U.N. as uh, national sovereign land, and it was no longer, you know, United States-owned, and right. people, you know, were at them or whatever. Really? He went down, and in front of all – yeah, that's absolutely true. Wow. <laughs> Way back in the nineties. Yeah, like, wow. yeah. I, was, I was blown away by it, right? So he goes in the middle of all these people in Grand Canyon. This is when he's, you know, younger looking and still in shape and you know, 'cause Alex isn't that old. He's only about five years older than me actually. Right. And he he just goes attention to people, he's like running this experiment and he explains to them what's going on and how they're going to take all these national parks and how this one is no longer really you know, owned by United States citizens, and they just laughed in his face. All these people, and I just thought to myself, you know what? This guy has got—he does not care. He's telling them the truth, and they can laugh in his face. Whatever. I mean, he's going to have the last laugh because he's prepared for this, and he's warned people. And you know, to this day, man—I mean, from the—you know—from him getting in Michael Moore's face when it needed to be done, yeah. uh, him To David Gergen, who's a member of the Bohemian Club. I mean, I love him. When he did, uh, you know, when I was hosting his show and he was down at the DNC and he gotten, was slandered me and my projects, you know, dozens of times. I love it. You know, God, without Alex Jones, where would this world be? And that's one in six billion. You know what I mean? Right. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. But but he's a guy who's done it out of his own pocketbook. He's tried to raise a little money uh, legitimately through his documentaries. Uh, you know, a, a guy's worth his keep, so he's paying his money for it. But uh, he's a guy who, who who runs it on the cheap but has a huge impact for every dollar he puts in it, correct?
3: That is correct. I mean, it's a pretty small operation. A lot of people think it's huge. It's not. It's, you know, when I was down there, I was in the front room with uh, two of his editors, and that was about it. And then when he would do his radio show, there would be a board-op guy that would come in not even the whole time because there's a board-op guy out in Minnesota that runs through GCN, but maybe for a couple hours. And then mm. in the back, you know, there's four, five people running dvds and taking shipping and trying to deal with the Mm -hmm. advertising aspect and that so you know he's expanding uh he's trying to do a tv network i'm actually hoping to be on that network as well as you know picking up my own two-hour radio show five days a week uh yeah yeah we're trying to set it up, man i mean he he did that phone drive while i was down there where he Mm -hmm. raised uh, i think it was a hundred grand or something like that It it was a good chunk of change and he got a new office, and we're trying to get a Dish Network thing going. You know, I was just pricing out TVs today okay. and uh, trying to trying to get everything in, in there because I think that what we have to do is legitimize ourselves even further mm-hmm. and give people a more consumable alternative media where they can look at this and show it to their friends.
0: I agree. Mm-hmm. If they insist on worshiping the idiot box, then you've got to be on the idiot box. Uh, there's well, no choice.
3: I mean, choice. Look, I mean a lot of people say, "Oh, Jason, why don't you write a book?" Well, nobody reads books. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. <laughs> not only am I not gonna. Turn, not only am I not. Am I not gonna turn over a profit on the book? But it's not gonna have an impact. Everybody watches TV. Everybody watches movies. This is the this is the MTV generation, man. Mm-hmm, yeah. So. I've got to reach out to as many people as I can in the most popular medium possible, right. and that is television.
0: Well, you know, uh, when you all need to fill programming on that new uh, station, and you yeah. got the wee hours, I think a future quick show is in order.
1: Yeah,
2: it's <laughs> not a bad idea. <laughs> I, I totally agree. I think that's hey, really the ground level, man. <laughs> you know,
3: gotta impress the big guy. You no, know, I gotta constantly myself to him. You know, yeah. are you kidding me? I to get him to do my last movie i was just like come on we should do this you know there's there's another movie in here there's a lot of things we haven't really touched on Mm. he's like all right and working on a global government picture called invisible empire and you know he's a busy guy he works on he's working on a jfk right now he wants to do Endgame two uh he's talked about another project he's trying to put this tv network together I, i mean the way it's talked about hopefully Right now is that, you know, he does a four hour show, you can run that right. twice a day, that's eight hours of programming. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably like nine with commercials. And then uh, you know, I run a two hour show, there's four more hours of programming,
0: mm-hmm.
3: maybe another half hour with commercials. And and rest rest of, these, rest of it's future
0: quake. Rest yeah, of it's future quake episodes. <laughs> you know, really We're pe- also
3: thinking, you know, we do, do we do have a lot of documentaries and Alex has done a lot of stuff in the past. Yeah. So, you know, we also could put documentaries on there, but we do want that's the point, we want Organizations like we are changed to send us footage. We want right. people like Student Scholars right. for 9/11 Truth, who I didn't mention before, but did an awesome job on the campaign trail, just nailing politicians on 9/11 Truth. Mm-hmm. And we want to make it hip to be smart again. Right. You know, I'm sick of this trash television. Let's get rid of. You know, I I indulge myself. You know, I'd, I'd be a liar if I didn't say I didn't think Jackass was funny. But yeah, that's funny. But that should be you know secondary, third on the list, maybe something mm-hmm. you entertain yourself with the end of the day not primary like i'm talking about it like it's the best thing ever so you're not going to have
0: dancing with the anarchist is one of the shows
3: (laughs) (laughs) you know i think that's another problem i think that there's not only anarchists but just people in general tend to go to this extreme on so many levels where it puts them in such blind spots where they cannot see the bigger picture i think you know unfortunately other than anarchists one of that big groups is unfortunately christians because they continue to vote into power people who say that they're christian conservative
2: and uh, you do know maybe exactly the opposite surface,
3: yeah. yeah maybe <laughs> on the surface they have a wife and a family and that they go to church but then on the you just have to do again the littlest bit of an investigation uh, you're a google image search away to yeah. find out that george w bush goes to Bohemian Grove, yeah. an all-male club
0: where it's pagan rituals. Well, my co-host, my co-host has been on the grounds, or on the perimeter of the grounds, yep. trying to get in. So, you know, we've we've had a special show telling our listeners about this, the Christian audience that we have. Yeah. And, and, Jason, I want to go into that now. We're coming to another segment of our show here where I, where I want to focus on this particular issue because this is the real touchy spot. Uh, we're, we're broadcasting to an overwhelming Christian audience here. Uh, Folks aren't quite used to uh, what we broadcast. We've been in this new format, new venue for about six months here. So we've been trying to show a lot of this information to wake up our brothers and sisters in the Lord about this. But I want to get an opinion from you uh, about this issue that that you raise. Now let me just say as a preamble that uh, for the people that we're going to talk about, there are also other examples. Um, This Saturday, we're going to be showing at a church, a church downtown, in uh, uh, game mm-hmm. and this is going to be uh, with a church called the Anchor Fellowship, downtown Nashville brings people from all over the city, comes to it, and then we have a discussion afterwards. There is a group affiliated there called Christian Action Against Apathy. They have been fighting to get fluoride out of the water locally, to do other kind of actions. Uh, one of their own, Ben Harms, uh, was hauled away from the debates in Nashville. We covered it in an interview yeah. with him there, uh, talking about third parties and the fact that the two parties were preaching the same message. Uh, and, and, in fact, yeah. I, I wrote a little blurb that ended up on the front of Infowars.com uh, about that. So we have younger people like that that are getting the message and are supporting what you all are doing. But yet on the other hand, we have the the propensity of Christians who who are sort of like what you began to describe, and and I I want to uh, just sort of approach that. You know, Amongst those who are in a constitutional anti-globalism community of which you would be a a leader within that group, uh, and and particularly those who who are young people uh, within that group, how do they perceive the evangelical church and the religious right and what their motives and goals are? How would you describe how they look at them?
3: Oh, my generation hates it. I'm not gonna lie. I mean, I, overwhelmingly, I mean I'm in you gotta remember, I'm in New York, man. And mm-hmm. I I'm just gonna tell you right now, it's it's very anti Christian what I see. And it's it's unfortunate because Christianity has great a, a great value system, great morality, great stories, you know, a great way to live your life. I, I think it's, you know, you know, a great thing. However, people look at the religious right and they think, you know, to themselves, Well, the people that aren't awake number one, they think, you know, You know, Bush is doing this because he actually thinks he talks to God and all this other stuff, so they're very turned off by Christianity. Mm -hmm. Then you have, you know, the awake crowd, you know, my friends, a lot of of people that I've turned on to this, and even they're hesitant. Even though I would even preempt this by saying, you know, this movement was really started by mostly evangelical Christians who had, you know, found out the things about mean Grove and others where they were telling other people. However, you know, I I don't know if you've caught zeitgeist and zeitgeist addendum. Mm -hmm. People who see that, that puts out a very anti-religious message, Mm -hmm. and, you know, I don't know how much I disagree. I do believe that, you know, organized religion has been used throughout the years, and, you know, no matter what organized religion you get into, uh, to control the masses. I I think that's undeniable. I, I think that, you know, they all have their pros and cons, but the leadership always corrupts them anyway, and, I mean, if you just look at for instance, let's let's take a look at the Vatican. Let's take a look at the Catholic Church. I mean, is there any more anything more abhorrent and disgusting than the fact that they literally had hundreds of priests, pastors, cardinals raping little boys and then they would just move them? I mean, these people didn't do jail time. I mean there's a great documentary out there called Deliver Us from Evil, where mm-hmm. this guy O'Malley, who literally, you know, must have raped two dozen, three dozen kids, it just walks around. I mean, he's free. And they moved him around, and uh, I believe our our current Pope uh, is one of the guys that moved him around when he was a cardinal. You know? That corruption alone turns a lot of young people off. You've also got to realize that over the last 20 years, again, this is the MTV Society, they've really tried to bring in this quote-unquote new age and kind of make us more apathetic, more culturally involved, Mm -hmm. more superstitious towards religion anyway. But then... I think, again, another thing that really turns them off is the way that the actual Christians act not only in their votes but their attitude. They just don't even want to hear that, you know, America could be wrong. Not because America is Christian but because they're Christian and they live in America and they believe that the guys that they voted into Congress are actual Christians and they're doing the right thing to save this country. I mean, we've got to get those bad Arabs because this is a clash of civilizations. But then they refuse to look at the fact that a lot of these guys are, you know, in, in the more, you know, I would say, tame cases, are mm-hmm. into male prostitutes. Uh, let's, let's get into a guy named Jeff Gannon. Jeff Gannon was a person who was in the press corps of the White House in the runoff of the 2004 election. 2002, 2003, he was around. He was a blogger. He didn't write for the New York Times. He didn't write for the Washington Post. He had a right-wing blog. Now, it later came out that this guy, Jeff Gannon, wasn't Jeff Gannon at all. In fact, he was James Guckert. And James Guckert was the head madam of militarystuds.com, a homosexual prostitution website. Now, it comes to find out that this guy also happened to be logged into the White House all the time at like 3 in the morning or 4 in the morning or 5 in the morning. And then you can go to the C-SPAN footage or... I will challenge your listeners to go to their computer right now, go into Google, uh do an image search and just type in Bush Gannon and you can literally see the president cheek to cheek with the man kissing his bald head. Now I don't know about you guys, but I don't normally run around kissing the bald head of people who are reporting on me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean yeah. I mean And people won't even look at that like Bush could have that kind of relationship because it would really just shatter their belief system. And then let's take it a step further. Him, his father, his father's father, uh, you know, probably descendants as far back as the late 1800s when the Bohemian Grove was founded and it came to this country. This is a club of men, the most rich, elite, powerful men in the world, not just America, but majority are white Anglo-Saxon. You can work your way into it if you want. And these guys get together in California to plot our lives for the next year until they meet again. They have some intermediate uh, meetings with smaller level people like Bilderberg and, uh, well, Bilderberg's probably a higher level organization, Davos. Mm -hmm. See, Ian Grove has about 3,000 members. Bilderberg has about 144. A lot of them are the same thing. But... The people at Bilderberg will basically dispense their agenda to the 3,000 out there. Because, you know, even the people, all the people in Bohemian Grove, you know, they don't have the full spectrum picture. Most of them don't. Mm-hmm. You know, some of them actually probably think they're in this harmless little awesome club of the elites, And other others go there for the hardcore rituals and the, uh, you know, random, you know, God knows what. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you can get a hold of the annals. Alex Jones broke in in 2000. You can watch the Cremation of Care ritual where there's literally a guy in a huge pope hat holding a cane talking about Babylonian and pagan religions and earth-based religions with all these guys in druidic outfits and torches, and they're in front of a four-foot owl god, a statue named Moloch, Mm -hmm. which uh, is a Canaanite deity that people used to sacrifice their children to. And at the end of this ritual, because there's only about a dozen or so participants, Uh, This man rides in on the lake that uh, separates the participants from about the 3,000 members, and he gives him an effigy of a baby, and then they sacrifice that effigy of a baby on a fiery altar in front of all these people, and everybody cheers like it's a big, great thing, and the fireworks go off, and Bohemian Grove is commenced. Now, if you doubt me that there's any kind of policy being set in the Grove, just take a look into the Manhattan Project. Uh literally, again, this is the place, the Bohemian Club and Bohemian Grove, is where the nuclear bomb was hatched. This right. is where they brought mm-hmm. Oppenheimer. This is where they first cracked it together. I mean, that's mainline news. That's actually mm-hmm. going to be in my next film. Well, Jason, so, if I could
0: add to what you're saying here uh the pe- the people who participate at that pagan ceremony away from the public eye but they have not been able to totally clamp down the information again Alex other people have gotten real video out that you can see uh, of this other people like David Gergen others have confessed uh you know to to this and their participation there are people who say they are Christians and evangelicals leaders that are telling evangelical leadership uh that they are Christians and these leaders are supporting them whether it's the president or other people that are, that are doing this. And so it really hurts their credibility with particularly younger people that aren't Christians to say you preach one thing but yet you do something else and you show ambivalence. Uh, on our, sh- our particular show, we have people like Chuck Baldwin on our mm-hmm. show. Uh, William Grigg, who's uh, frequent on Stan Montice's show, another intellectual. Christian libertarians like William Grigg, Robert Hyde, other people that talk about what it means to be free, what it means to love your neighbor, uh, self-determination, uh, the dangers of the government in the police state, and how the Bible actually supports that belief. But that is a very unpopular message, and we get a lot of heat from people. We point out when people like uh, Dr. Dobson says he can never vote for somebody like John McCain uh, because he believes in the killing of the unborn and all of his other sins that he 's done, but then, uh, when it comes down to the point that that 's the they see as the only vanguard against the Democrats, well, they changed their tune immediately, and I think all these things really really hurt the witness. Tom and I are bible believing Christians, we believe it real from cover to cover. We hang out with a group of other believers that aren't the kind of description you were making earlier, you know, uh, about moving pedophile priests around and things like that. We, we we meet simply with a simple group of people that love God and love their neighbor, take care of the poor, we feed the poor, we try to take care of them. We're not perfect by any stretch, but we, we see the importance in being able to show people that we're truthful and that we recognize truth and we recognize when people are being exploited and when lies are being told, and like a recent guest we had, Robert Hyde, on, he says Christians are supposed to seek truth. Jesus told us to seek it, and when we're confronted with lies, we have an obligation to expose it. Uh, is that a message that really resonates better with people like yourself?
3: Well, I think so. I mean, I, I hopefully it resonates with you know a lot of people because especially with a subject as as large. Uh, as 9-11, I mean, our, our entire foreign and domestic policy has, you know, been based on what they right. told us about 9-11. Including the so, police
0: state, the whole war on terror and the police state, our own country that's mm. been formed from it as well.
3: Yeah, the whole shebango. So when you don't want to confront that lie, and there's so much riding on that lie, and you live in the country that is literally the world's superpower. And you do so, again, basically out of this you know, I can't change anything anyway mentality. Things mm-hmm. are just going to be the way they are. And, you know, and especially that, you know what, no, it really does annoy me even more. The, the Christians that are awake, that are waiting for the rapture, that refuse to do anything, that no. think this is all whatever, like they can't have an effect. Well, I have to totally and completely disagree. Uh, you know, the Bible speaks of many antichrists. I mean, if you believe in the Bible, there's no way to pin down that, uh you know, the end times are coming. I mean, for example, I mean, if you really do believe it and you go into Revelations, well, before the end times even really get here, everybody's going to have the mark of the beast. And I know that everybody on the planet doesn't have a chip yet. And although that's part of their agenda, it hasn't happened yet. Well,
0: Jason, Jason, if I could give you an example of that, um, regarding that. Now, Tom and I both believe uh, in in the Lord's return. We believe the scripture talks about that. However... Uh, Jesus said that we would not know the day or the hour, although we may know the times and the seasons. And certainly your work and others have suggested that may be on the way. However, if we go back in time to the time uh, when we had slavery in our country... Christians could very well have said, "Well, this is a sign of the last days. We better just sort of hold up, wait till Jesus comes back." Meanwhile, people are staying in slavery rather than abolitionists standing up and saying, "This is wrong. God is yeah. not pleased with I'm this." Do something about this. Uh, or we could have been in Germany in the 30s when Jews yeah. are being hauled off yeah. and Corey say, "Well, Ken this, is,
2: Boom, yeah. these this, this who, is a sign yeah. that well, that
0: Jesus is coming back. So we better just hold up and wait for Him to come pick us up." Uh, instead of going in and grabbing Jews and hiding them in our houses or going out and and uh gathering and demonstrating in mass on the mm-hmm. steps before someone like a Hitler got uh overreaching power mm-hmm. so so the fact that we don't know those kind of, I think you're hitting on something important that people who are in the faith, it needs to be obvious to them that until the Lord comes and, and says, "Hey, time is up, you've done all the good you can do you need to be out there fighting for truth and justice and setting an example for the rest of the world for looking out for the defenseless. Until that time comes. And it's certainly not a time to go hole up in a minister, you know, monastery and wait for him to come back.
3: Yeah, with you, 100%. I mean, uh, you know, the thing is that we, we can change the world. And, yeah, uh, you know, we do have... Well, and we don't know, you know, what's going to happen next. And we don't know if it can get worse than this. I know it can get worse than this. I, I do know that. I know it could get a lot worse than this. And we have to own up to that. And we have to try to make it better every single day. I, I mean... If you do believe in the teachings of Christ, I mean, you know, follow his example. You know, he mm-hmm. spoke out against uh, doing evil. You know, he he took action against those. He helps people. And that's what we need to be doing, you know, instead of, uh, you know, again, there's always time for entertainment. But when your whole week revolves around that one football game, exactly. and that's like the most moment of your life, uh, maybe it's time to change up your life and your perspective uh, on the world. Because there are things more important than that, more important than your Jenny Light and your Cheetos. And unfortunately, there there's a lot of heavy stuff out there. But we can confront it. Well, you know, we, we again, right. we have to change that mindset.
0: And Jason, uh, Christian's uh do it just as badly as people who aren't people of faith, but they should know better. They they go every yeah. Sunday and study and read and then hopefully read their Bible yeah. during the week At if least are, they're supposed to. They, yeah, and they <laughs> and they're supposed to find out that we're supposed to be out there in service. You know, Jesus poured himself out. He made himself an offering for others in devotion. But yet we gravitate to the boob tube and the entertainment and we preach about that a lot and we we tell families families if you want your kids to respect you go out there and go to a demonstration take your children with you instead of going and you know and throwing a ball back and forth take your kids let them see you in leadership with your neighbors and communities stand up against evil they you will earn all sorts of respect from your children, if you if you show them that's a lifestyle, an activist lifestyle where you're reaching out and helping those in need, uh, and there's a million ways you can do it. You can help those who are hungry, who are being exploited, in many other ways. If if there's things where there's powerful people that are exploiting other people, all that stuff is fair game. But but I'm with you 100 percent. Tom and I both. People need to get up out of their chairs and start doing things, and that's what this group, Christian Action Against Apathy, is doing in downtown Nashville. Is that they're trying to uh, coagulate uh, people. People that are like-minded to get together and do those kind of things, and they're doing it right now.
3: Totally, and, you know, everybody's got a talent. You know, like I was talking about earlier, when I first started on uh, Loose Change, I was working in a uh, graphics place, so I printed, you know, DVD covers. You can print up signs. You can print up pamphlets Mm -hmm. if you had that kind of job. Mm -hmm. Or, I mean, there's just everybody can do something. I mean, if you're a teacher at a school, You know, maybe in the faculty lounge when you're talking to other teachers, not so much with the students, but maybe you hand them a DVD. I mean, everybody likes to have a barbecue and a movie night. You know, you invite the neighbors Mm -hmm. over. You Mm -hmm. don't tell them to watch. (laughs) You know, I, I mean, you can do something. Again, I mean, it's the attitude that you're helpless, that they have this great power over you. That's their game. You know, it's to instill fear into us. And one way or another, they're usually very successful in it. And I think it's very liberating when you kind of shed that fear.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And
3: it's kinda of like, mm-hmm. all right, well, do your worst. I'm gonna mm-hmm. I'm gonna go full throttle okay. until then.
0: Well you know one thing, if you were talking about we are change, I think one of the paradigms you have to sort of get out of is this kind of uh, star worship where you, you you get star-dazzled by people who are well-known celebrities and 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 you almost uh, sort of set them on a pedestal naturally if you go to a book signing uh, we are changed often goes to book signings and will confront people you have to be comfortable but in a in a polite professional way actually calling people to task for what they say and they will try to bully you with their celebrity and and we as citizens need to stop that kind of thing and actually hold our ground uh, with these people, and it can be fun the things that you 're talking about doing uh, you know you can always do things in a in an unprofessional way that can do more harm than good, but the fact of the matter is it actually bonds people together in a neighborhood or community when you go show each other what you can do and what can be done and uh, i I just think this is a tremendous example of what what you 're sharing of what all of us need to do,
3: yeah, absolutely, and I think we do kind of take that mystique. Away, for some, for some, some, uh, away from some of these politicians, you know, especially Bill Clinton. We are change hit Bill Clinton about, I think, three or four times, and they got him to admit to or comment on uh, the Bohemian Grove, for one, and say, isn't that where a bunch of naked Republicans go to the Redwood Forest? And then they also got him to comment on uh, on him going to Bilderberg, where he admitted that he went to Bilderberg, And a couple months before that, I believe it was student scholars for 9 truth confronted Hillary Clinton on Bilderberg, and she acted like she didn't even know what it was. Although, you know, it's rumored, it's more than rumored that she went in 2006, and, you know, obviously she knows what it is because her husband's attended. Mm-hmm.
0: And this is what they want to clamp down the Internet yeah. so much because when average people wake up, this is what they fear the most. When average people expose them, start getting this information, sending it everywhere, I'm sure a loose change is just really still a sore spot with them. But the fact that it didn't go away, they weren't able to discredit people, they didn't crawl back in their hole, and it continues to expand. I've got one more quick question for some advice from you, Jason, and then I want to move on to uh, focus on your new production and uh, some some suggestions for us down the road. Um, I understand that you're not speaking necessarily for a, for a person from the people of faith, but you have some advice that those of us are could use for examples. For example, we had some people from the Ron Paul movement on our show uh, some some period of time ago, and and they told uh, Tom and I after the show that they had never been around. Uh, Christian people that could talk as intellectuals, could actually talk and understand the things that they were talking about. And it was shocking to them that, that they could talk with us, you know, and really go toe to toe. Are there are there some things that you can suggest we could do? And, and by the way, the other thing that these folks have mentioned numerous times I've heard is that they envy the resources that people in churches, and I'm not talking about Catholic church per se, but churches in general have. They have a meeting place. They have a natural affinity together. They, they, they already form a natural association and group that meet regularly. They have all sorts of resources. And, of course, we, we believe we have spiritual resources as well. But we, we have things that can make a big difference if we only choose to harness them. Mm. You know, looking at the church, uh, looking at the sleeping giant that's there, what kind of suggestions you have that we could do to help our fellow brothers and sisters and fellow citizens uh by providing some kind of bold leadership in these areas and protect the defenseless and confront evil in a way that Jesus Christ did like you said earlier uh you know so then people can also listen to our message and other things when we show that we we are clearly looking after them or trying to help set the captives free uh, you know even spiritually and physically um any suggestions you have on what we can do to be more effective in in the sure. betterment of our neighbors and and also for our own goals
3: yeah, well, I mean, for the first thing is, when you guys said that, you know, you were having a showing an end Endgame, that is the first step. I mean, without informing every, everybody, you know, in that group, there's going to be rifts. But, you know, I don't know if you can do it on a, on a mass. I would say the mass level first, you know, try to get as many people there as possible. And then after you get the rest of the people there, I mean, let's say you get half your church there. Let's say out of the 100 that are usually there, 50 show up. And 40 are just very receptive to the message. Mm -hmm. And then even out of that 40, there are only 20 that are willing to go out and do something. Well, number one, the 40 that were receptive to the message are going to make sure that the other 50 people that didn't show up eventually watch these films. And that's Mm -hmm. why your DVD burner can be your best friend. You know, Mm -hmm. everybody's got a kid out there. If you don't know how to work it yet, your Mm -hmm. kid knows how to work it. Send them the DVD. They'll figure out how to put it onto a disc. And you can literally be making, you know, disc after disc every five or ten minutes. So then after they know the message, you've got to find the people who are the most active. You know, some people are, you know, type A personalities, can get out there, talk your ear off, are willing to go tie the toe-to-toe. Other people are better at crafting a letter, you know, or possibly a Freedom of Information Act request or possibly a petition list to try to do something or, you know, to get a permit to be in a park to protest. I mean, it's all about individual skills. And, you know, again, coming together, because I can't do what I do by myself. I mean, I mm-hmm. can't make movies alone. I wasn't able to make, uh, you know, the fifth anniversary of 9-11. That's a huge success. I had a guy down south who did all the T-shirts at a great rate. You know, thank God for him. I had another guy who's one of my good friends from college. He was out in Portland, Oregon. He printed up all the signs for me. He sent it down. I couldn't have gotten, you know, I couldn't make all the venues. So Luke Rudowski and We Are Change booked all these venues. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really takes people coming together to, to be able to spread this message. But the first step is to inform those people so that they can get motivated and understand what, what the challenges are and what the issues are so they can speak on those issues. So, you know, I think uh, a great first step is showing endgame mm-hmm.
0: in a church. Yeah. Well, well. For example, uh, you know, we have let our listeners know that other evangelical leaders, like Rick Warren, uh, even Richard Land, who's a spokesman of the Southern Baptist Convention, which which was a background, religious background I used to be from, uh, that they're they're now members of the Council on Foreign Relations, you know, and they're now actually involved in these globalist type group yeah. doing things. I don't know what they do there. Can't speak for it. Well, I don't know. Somebody, Richard
2: Land wrote a wrote a response to that. He said. Well, they asked me, and they didn't have any evangelicals, so I joined. <laughs> right, <laughs> really but, explaining it. But, but the
0: fact, if you, if you see people in the church start asking these questions and are asking questions of their government and why we are demonizing people uh, that have different colored skin in different parts of the world and, and you know sending up certain people to be enemies and then broad-brushing it toward others, if you start seeing people in the church start to address some of these kind of things, do you think it will earn the respect of people like yourself and people like you?
3: Well, people like myself, I mean, I've always had a great respect for religious people. I don't think I count, I don't count anybody out for any of their religious beliefs whatsoever. And, you know, coming into this, you know, knowing that this, these, you know, I, I used to go to church a lot as a kid, to be honest. Uh, I didn't stop going until I was around 12. Uh, my parents were divorced, and on the weekends I actually lived in the church. Uh, the, guy, the girl huh. my father. Dating was a yeah was a pastor's daughter. So on the weekends I would uh, spend the night in a uh, a Methodist church. I would have to sit in the front row at mass, and I would also have to go to Sunday school. So and my mom also had another church even before that that I used to go to. So I mean I don't discredit you know people who are religious, and you know I think it's unfortunate when people do. What really turned me off to it, you know, was again the hypocrisy, the way people acted. And But I will say this, the whole New World Order thing and one-world government, mass chipping, that was introduced to me, you know, by somebody who was very religious, was Christian, told me all about this stuff when I was a teenager, and I laughed right in his face. I thought it was a big joke. You know, it wasn't until years and years, years later that I looked back on that, and I was just, like, blown away on, you know, how much introspective this guy had given me, literally – you know, I don't know, it must have been eight to ten years before I really knew anything. You know, I, I like the rest of the masses, thought the New World Order was a joke, thought that it was a wrestling team, that it was Hulk Hogan on television.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You
3: know, yeah. I thought it was a big gag. I thought it was a big conspiracy theory, tinfoil hat wearing, you know, Bush had said it a couple of times, but that was it. It really didn't mean anything, but... You know that's why I'm making this film. I'm going to show people this isn't WWE wrestling, and that this is real deal. That this is more than just, you know, a term. This is a mindset of the upper echelon of the populace, and they want a one-world government where we are literally a slave class that is has been called to serve them. And I refuse to be a part of that.
0: Well, that's what I want to focus on is on uh, our remaining time is on your production, uh, Fabled Enemies, which has just come out. And it's your next step in your unfolding uh, growth and your, your prowess and capability in hitting the nail on the head of what's really going on in the world around us. Can you briefly tell us uh, the, the the basic premise of it and what the purpose was in doing it?
3: Sure. You know, I mean, again, there was a lot of 9-11 movies out there that talked about the controlled demolition of World Trade Center 1, 2, and 7, that talked about what happened at the Pentagon, that talked about what didn't happen uh, in Shanksville. But there weren't a lot of – there weren't any, really, 9-11 pictures that dealt with the hijackers' ties to U.S. military bases, uh, that dealt with the fact that 15 of these 19 guys came through the uh, visa department in in Saudi Arabia – where we have the head of that department, and he's in my new film, uh, Michael Springman, uh, come clean and say that it was a CIA operative base and it was a front, and that they were working with Osama bin Laden in the late 80s and early 90s to funnel in Islamic militants for covert programs. You know, I also get into the continuity of government or shadow government. You know, again, you say shadow government to most people, they're like, what is that, the new Bond flick, or they think it's part (laughs) of a TV show think it's the real deal. Mm -hmm. And I have to explain to them that, well, actually, continuity of government was in place on the morning of 9-11 through drills. It was uh, going on through Global Guardian, which was a mass Armageddon drill. They had uh, five E-4Bs in the air on 9-11. Those are mobile command centers or doomsday planes for upper echelon members of the shadow government. And it just so happens that this entire program, continuity of government, was revamped in the 80s while Reagan was president. Under the direction of George Herbert Walker Bush, and mm. this was the uh, birth of the sole source contract. This is really where they got their teeth. Cheney had been in the succession program since this, and he was actually in charge on the morning of 9/11. So there, there's just a ton of new information in this uh, hour and 40-minute picture. Uh, you know, we go inside hey, building. Let seven, let me let me,
0: interrup- let me interrupt you just a minute, Jason, before our listeners misunderstand here. You you mentioned something bad about some people with R in front of their name, some Republicans. And we have a lot of listeners who uh, are very, very sincere, that have been very supportive of Republicans, believing they were more a moral party. Uh, I've certainly had a past of voting Republican in the past and and believed with complete conscience. And when they hear you talk about Bush and Cheney alone, they, they assume, oh, he's a Democratic plant, turn off. What, what you do in your well, work, and I don't mean to interrupt you, but it basically transcends parties, and what you have done largely is to show there's not much difference in them, correct?
3: Oh, absolutely, and and for example, I mean, before Biden got the nod for uh, the VP spot, he was in my movie, and he is in my movie, and we confront mm. Joseph Biden, because, you know, who cares if he's a Democrat or, or a Republican, about the fact that he had a connection to the head of the Pakistani ISI, General Mahmoud Ahmed, who wired the hijackers $100,000 right before the attacks. And it just so happens that, you know, this guy was in D.C. on the morning of 9-11 having breakfast with Porter Goss and Bob Graham, uh, who would co-chair the original congressional investigation into 9-11. The guy would also be meeting with George Tenet in the week before 9-11, the National Security Council, yet nothing was done to him. I I mean, I do want to make it clear that my films do transcend uh, you know, Republicans and Democrats, we go after both, both Clinton and McCain. you know, it doesn't matter whether you got a a donkey or an elephant, uh, you're both bad news, and they're both owned by the same corporate interests. They're more like WWE wrestling, unfortunately. <laughs> right,
0: exactly. They go back and they they go back and uh, pat each other in the back, back in the dressing room. Yeah. But they come out and shake their fists at each other. And we're the dopes that play along and think all of this is for real.
2: Well what is it? Uh John Kerry and George H. W. Bush are cousins or second cousins? Right. Isn't that right? Well of
0: course you know McCain right. came with an eye last year actually running a, a McCain's ticket last yeah, year. The yeah, the yeah, great Republican choice was planning to p- convert over to Democrat mm-hmm. and run. Because you know these these differences are so Huge, severe. very big between between the two. And, and I and I have to thank uh, you Jason and Alex and others who basically really shined the light to me to feel like that I've been had. I've been had not only by this whole paradigm of setting up two political parties, but this whole thing of actually believing when they send their press releases to the mass media and they tell us what's going on in the world. It took me forever to finally figure out that they were feeding me a story. They were selling me something, just like the commercials on TV. The only reason they told me something is because they wanted me to believe something. And I think you all have very accurately done that. And I'm I'm sure I didn't mean to interrupt you in in, in the middle of this, but y- you continue that same line of thought with Fabled Enemies, correct?
3: Absolutely. And the majority of my film is actually mainline CNN, Fox News coverage. I mean, people are actually shocked when they see Fabled Enemies and they see how much Fox News I actually use. You mm-hmm. see, the media, although they are masters of distortion and lying, they do let the truth slip up every once in a while. It's usually you know, on once or twice and then it's never followed up on or, you know, it happens in one or two reports and then it goes away and it's not on any other networks. But we like to bring it back and let people know this is what really happened.
0: Usually it's truth if it's something that you mm-hmm. don't think the government would have wanted you to know. That's probably the best sign that it may have been truth that slipped through. Mm-hmm. If it's something that's awkward to them, then it's something that may have inadvertently not been pre-chewed by them. So so uh, you, you actually cover the sheet. You, you go through basically the whole idea of who we've been set up to be programmed to think our enemies are as opposed to who the true enemies are, correct? That's it basically in a nutshell?
3: Oh, that is it. I mean, we show you, you know, again, you know, Bin Laden is a CIA operative. I mean, even if you think that he's strayed, the Bushes and Bin Ladens have been doing business for many, many years, and we show how, you know, these same organizations through Enron and other ones – they were funding these mujahideen groups you know throughout i mean when they attacked bosnia so again we we try to transcend politics here we try to transcend you know who the who the real enemy is you know it's not some guys in a cave unfortunately unfortunately if you really take a close look you'll find out that it's a lot closer to home and it's a lot more dangerous
0: right yeah right and uh, I, I, we have found in our show and the people we've talked with that sometimes it's most effective if you go back and look at history. Mm-hmm. And one of our guests, Robert Hyde, mentioned that he often will refer to incidents that happened prior to the lifetimes of people that are living because people get very defensive when you mm-hmm. mention things, you know, that they personally experience because they have a lot of emotional baggage tied in to believing a certain set of things. But when we go back and find out that, that the main the uh, the ship that was blown up that we blamed the Spanish on for the spanish American war was actually done by our own guys, and we look at several you know false flag operations even going back to Mossadegh back in Iran, and uh, the fact that uh, we created terrorist events to overthrow a democratically elected leader there and then we wonder why the Iranian people don't like us. These are the kind of things we don't have in our textbooks because they control the textbooks that we read, but if you go back and read history books, that alone can help you to start to understand the kind of things you teach, correct?
3: Absolutely. And, you know, let's take it even a step further. Do you think that it's a coincidence that on the morning of 9-11, they're running drills at 845 of ramming planes into buildings? Do you think it's a coincidence that they're running live hijack drills using United and American Airlines planes at the same exact time on 9-11? I mean, throughout history, you know, they use these these drills and other type events to stage these attacks. And all, again, you have to do is scratch the surface to find out that the, that they do this, that this is the real deal from the Gulf of Tonkin to Gladio, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in other countries, to even the 7-7 bombings in London where they just happen to be running a drill, blowing up the same exact three train stations at the same exact time, and the guy running the drill, uh, Visor Consultants, who wasn't in the loop, uh, Peter Power went on Sky TV and on the BBC and said it. And then when he was confronted this year by We Are Change Ireland, he ran into a closet because he didn't want to talk about it. Well, but but <laughs> he'd mean, already
0: been recorded.
3: The, the word was already out, though. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, I mean, he was on the news twice talking about it because, again, this is a guy that wasn't in the loop, that it happened under his belt. He obviously got told to shut up because he didn't say who he was running the drills for. We Are Change Ireland catches up with him years later, asks him about it and he won't tell them, and he literally walks into a closet. So, (laughs) I I mean, I encourage your listeners to please just go check out my films for free. I'm not asking for a dime. You go to Google Video right now, you can watch Loose Change. You can watch uh, Fabled Enemies. If you want to just watch the short clip of Peter Powers talking about how they're running a drill, exactly like the 7-7 attacks at the exact same time, and then getting confronted, type it into into Google. I mean, we live in a fully unique age where any kind of information is literally at our fingertips.
0: Right, right. So so now your, your uh, critics can't claim, well, he's just fabricating this stuff to make a fast buck. But the fact that you're offering this to people shows your passion about it, mm-hmm. and you believe in it enough. If if this was a big lie, you wouldn't be offering anything for free if it was a big yeah,
3: show game. I mean, <laughs> I could care less if I die a pauper, man. I mean... Honestly, when I was growing up, I thought the most important thing was money. I, that was in my mindset. I grew up really poor. I think that might be another, re- you know, reason maybe I strayed from religion a little bit. But and as this took place, and I just saw the importance of the whole thing. I could care less about making a buck, man. This is about you know my little niece who's in the other room sleeping right now, growing up in a world that I can live with.
1: You mm-hmm. know,
3: saying I tried, not that I just. Yeah you know, let us go into something more nightmarish than 1930s Germany. Right. And people don't realize that can happen in this country. The same people that funded that war still run things. You know, the Bush family, unfortunately, you know, through the Averill Harriman uh, Mm -hmm. banking cartel, laundered laundered huge amounts of Nazi money uh, before and after World War II. Mm -hmm. And people can check that Prescott Bush was actually arrested and his assets froze under the Trading with uh, the Enemy Act by J. Edgar Hoover,
1: mm-hmm. right? Well, you
3: know that was all history. Yeah. Nothing really happened to him. He paid a few fines, and it was hush hush. Because again, this is this this transcends countries. This is about globalism.
0: Right. And you've got uh, the Ford Foundation also funding the eugenics program, mm-hmm. uh, Hitler's program again, and they... hmm That's right. Well, I just like to tell our Christian listeners to stop and think uh, what we talked about. We we've often said. That the witness of the apostles, uh, the fact that people believed the message they said about the resurrection of Jesus was real, for the very fact that they didn't make a dime off of it, if anything, they sacrificed their lives because they stuck to their message. And they sacrificed their very lives physically as a testimony to what they saw and witnessed was real.
2: They went to the, not even that, they went to the ends of the earth and told people that they had no... So no compunction to talk to. I, I would mean, like I to remind. Anyway.
0: Right, I'd like to remind people that when people come and are so passionate to share you information, they're not asking for a handout or money. What they're trying to do is just to help inform you and protect you. You should take their message seriously. It doesn't mean that it automatically is true or not true. Do your own due diligence, but treat it seriously. Now, for those of our listeners who are appreciative of your work enough, Jason, that they would like to purchase a copy so they can help underwrite and support your work so you can get on with your, your next documentaries. What is the best way that they can actually purchase uh, your, your products?
3: They can go to uh, Infowars.com and grab Fabled Enemies and Loose Change in a combo pack. I think it's something like $32 for the combo. Or mm-hmm. you can join PrisonPlanet.tv for something like 6 bucks a month and literally watch it in DVD quality right now. So, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of ways to go to FabledEnemies.com, LooseChange911.com. But You know, we encourage you, if you do get a hard copy, make many, many copies and hand them out to your neighbors, family, and friends.
0: Okay. Well, we want to make sure that people do it in a way that, uh, you know, that the bacon comes back home to you so you can turn that money around and have some money to do the next project and work around. And, you know, uh, a workman is worth their keep. And we want to make sure that you uh, are, you know, properly compensated for the sacrifice that you've done in trying to help your fellow citizens
3: out. Well, thanks. But, you know, again, you know, you get like I said, we encourage hard copies. They're over at uh, InfoWars.com. Loose Change is available in spindles over at LooseChange901.com. So no if you do like the pictures, yeah, you can get, uh, I think it's a pack of 10 for like 30 or 40 bucks. So it's literally wow. three or four the DVD, and you hand them out you know, right. to a bunch of people. I think you right. can get them into packs as big as 100 for even cheaper. So, hmm. you know, we're hmm. just trying word
0: out. And uh, in, in fact uh, we'd love to have you back on the show. You think you might come back sometime and uh, update us on some of the things going on in the future? Got it. Okay. Well come on back and uh, keep up this Ben Harm story. I'm sure it's not over. We, we've we been sticking with it here from the, uh, from the d- recent debate. Uh, but uh, you know those guys are inspired by the kind of stuff you all are doing. And so, uh, you know, just, just keep doing it. And we're out here in the field, out here in the frontier areas, supporting what you're doing. and wanting to support you in any way we can. And we just thank you so much for making yeah. so much time with us tonight.
3: All right. No problem, guys. Okay. Thanks again. Thanks. All right. Thanks, guys. Nothing can change the shape of things. Nothing can
1: change the shape of things to come.
0: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom Bionic. And it's Friday, and I don't know if I'm even going to ask you what it is today.
2: Um, Arbor Day? You're not going to pull all the... Oh, that was what I said last week. ...in
0: front of me. It Um. is... Tomorrow's Tremors, or Today's Review of the Future's News. Indeed it is. Because we have too many stories to review to spend ten minutes right. deciding what today is. Well,
2: yeah, but it's kind of funny. You know what one of my friends said who listens, one of our regular listeners, he said, mm-hmm. I like the Newsday the best because I find out informative stuff that I never would have found anywhere else, Yeah. but you guys also make me laugh a little bit.
0: Really? Yeah. So like when we talk about the end of the world and doom and suffering, yeah. we can make them laugh along. It's like, like
2: listening this. to a bluegrass song, you know. Where it's like they're talking about like throwing their wife in the river that they yeah. just murdered. and But it's done to the happiest music.
0: Yeah. you know. It's just like, uh, I don't know if you remember that gospel song. Um, Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming soon. Morning or night or noon. Many will meet their doom. Trumpets will sound. And everybody always sings that with a big smile on their face. Particularly <laughs> yeah. the millions will meet their doom. Yeah. So maybe we're like that. But we do have stories. Yeah. Uh, we are recording this after the election, so we are caught up. We, mm-hmm. We've we also heard that uh, man has landed on the moon, and we've heard about the JFK assassination. So we're more up to date on our news here. We know sometimes yeah. the time it gets on WENO, it's a little long in the tooth for a few days. But Indeed. Uh, we have some future stories okay. we're going to talk about. So uh, with no further ado, you want me to jump in? Jump, jump right in quick. there. Okay. This is uh, something that was just from a... Um, Interview that was done by Ron Paul, if you all remember Ron Paul, the guy who was Indeed. a big hit early, uh, polarized the Republican Party. I think in many ways he uh, has had sort of the last laugh, although I think he's more grieved than anything yeah. about what's happened since then. But uh, this comes from uh, Infowars.net, uh, PrisonPlanet.com. Uh, regarding the interview he just did, uh, he had some pretty provocative things to say yesterday, uh, post election. It says mm-hmm. the Texas Congressman and 2008 presidential candidate Ron Paul has warned that the mm-hmm. euphoria surrounding the election of Barack Obama, combined with the overwhelming fear of major international crises, could facilitate a cataclysmic shift toward a new world order.
2: Well, that's the truth.
0: Now, appearing live on the Alex Jones show earlier today, the congressman, uh, that was uh, as of Wednesday, the congressman uh, spoke of a feeling of dread surrounding the change of guard, both in the White House and on Capitol Hill. He says, I do feel it, but I don't uh, think it's brand new. I didn't wake up with it. Talking about this feeling of Mm -hmm. dread. He says, I've had it for a while. I don't think the election was a surprise, but the rhetoric is getting pretty strong and they're getting very bold, he commented. Uh, speaking on the strange uh, stage management of the election and calling it a huge distraction from real issues, the election process itself. Yeah. Uh, the congressman outlined both how candidates were prepositioned by the elite interest with the knowledge that either would satisfactorily serve their agenda.
2: Uh, well, he, sure. I, to me, it almost, it almost seems like uh, uh, John McCain took a dive. He could have totally pulled yeah. this thing out yeah. if he would have talked about the economy. Right. And yet he didn't do one thing to talk about the economy. He
0: maybe not jumped in with the bailout.
2: Well, and not jumped out about the bailout. He could no. have gotten on the stand and said, no. What's going on? Three hundred to one against and all my senators are right are, are voting for this anyway. What he kind could of election is he could have been a this? maverick. He could have actually totally. been a maverick and, and a man of principle. Totally. And and people would have flocked to him because yeah. not they're not they're not no. looking for a change of guard, they're looking for honesty.
0: Well listen to what uh ron paul said he mm-hmm. says i think mccain was obviously a backup candidate in case something happened where obama didn't win they'd have been satisfied with mccain but they had been positioning obama for a long time mm-hmm. that's pretty strong words for a congressman to say wow yeah. that uh, they being the people sort of above the fray in the two parties that are manipulating the scenes is the implication
2: i'd love to see, see a debate between ron paul and obama
0: yeah, I even, we'll never even, have, he'll, he won't show up. Yeah, Obama would, wouldn't show up I, I wouldn't even mind seeing like... Even a, the Republicans like a, won't show up for a debate. Like a it.
2: sword melee or something, even. Yeah. Although Obama is quite a bit younger. That yeah,
0: but uh, uh, Ron Paul is his own physician. He could be oh, a cut true. man.
2: a physician healed thyself. Yeah. Well, since you asked. Well,
0: let me <laughs> let, let me uh, continue with, with Ron. He says, uh, this started even before he announced he was running. Talking about McCain. Mm-hmm. Anybody who would have gotten that much favorable coverage for so long... You know that the plans were laid for him to be the individual that's going to be taking care of the corporate elite, the congressman continued. Sure. I'm sorry, he's referring to uh, Barack there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul also warned that Democrat gains in the House and Senate made for a particularly worrying situation of absolute power, similar to that held by the Republican Party eight years ago. Just as a Republican Congress wouldn't say boo to a Republican Congress, uh, you know the Democratic Congress is never going to stand up. I think he meant to a president Yeah, what they oh, sure. Uh, I think it is very dangerous, and the first year is going to be the most dangerous year, Paul stated. Just think of Bush's first year. He also had the 9-11 thing that he could use to scare everybody to death. And Obama will use the financial crisis, which will get worse, and there will be more military skirmishes around the world, Paul asserted. The congressman also uh, warned that many Republican representatives may go along with Obama just to win favor with the electorate and be uh, seen to follow popular opinion. Uh, commented on the touted international crisis that luminaries such as Colin Powell, Joe Biden, and Zbigniew Brzezinski uh, have all guaranteed will occur within weeks of Obama yeah. entering the White House.
2: Well, and I think it's cl- I think it's fair to say too that uh, if our listeners haven't checked out the background of Zbigniew Brzezinski, that might be something right. worthwhile checking out.
0: It's if you can spell it, it's worth in.
2: i g n e w
0: you know, uh, no, N I E W. Oh. But they're driving off the road right now. Listen to us trying to write that down on okay. their, their yeah. thigh there. Uh, well, he, here's what uh, Ron Paul says. He says, uh, uh, with them having all guaranteed about this uh, crisis to occur when he gets in office, the congressman stated he believes it will be a catalyst for a shift toward world government. Now, listen to this very carefully. I think it's going to be an announcement of a new monetary order. And they'll probably make it sound very limited. They're not going to say this is world government, even though it is. If you control the world's money, and you control the military, which they do indirectly. A well, world's – I'm
2: sorry. I was just going to say, well, didn't – I can't I, – I can't remember who said it, but I thought it was one of the, one of the presidential candidates who said, oh, yeah, I'm strongly, I'm strongly for uh, a socialist society as long as it doesn't interfere with the free market. And went yeah. over anybody's, everybody's head. And I was right. like, did I, right. I just hear that? I'm going to have to look that up and talk about yeah. it next week.
0: People, people, people don't care. Yep. Uh, he continues. He says, a world central bank, worldwide regulation, and world control uh, of the whole system, of all the commodities and all the natural resources. What else can you call it other than world government? Mm-hmm. Obama wouldn't be there if he didn't toe the line. And when the meeting starts on November 15th, remember this, November 15th, for the new monetary system, this could be the beginning of the end of what's left of our national sovereignty, Paul said, mm-hmm. also warning that the global media are already hailing Obama as the world's leader. With Obama no. previously announced that he will shift military attention to Pakistan, the Congressman also warned that the president-elect will, thanks to the previous administration, have the necessary precedent to escalate the war on terror. Sure. Uh, it's a ph- philosophy of the Bush Doctrine, as is him speaking, which was that we have the right to preemptively strike anybody. And then uh, he even expanded that recently by saying we, we don't have to invade and conquer, but we have the right to go in and bomb anybody without their permission. And that's why we go into Pakistan and Syria, which are acts of war. So they have the tools to do it and the sentiment, and most Americans are oblivious to what is happening. Paul also suggested that any escalation could be facilitated by false flag events, such as the Gulf of Tonkin-style incident. Yeah. Uh, If
2: anybody anybody, uh, hasn't already done so, they should check out, uh, type in Robert Hanyuk, H-A-N-Y-O-K. He was the official NSA historian Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, basically said, well, more than basically, flat out said that the Gulf of Tonkin was a completely fabricated incident. The
0: key incident that caused all of our men to lose their lives, tens of thousands in Vietnam. Yes, was a completely
2: fabricated incident. So says the historian, official historian of the NSA.
0: Yeah, just think about that one. Here, I'll just wrap it up here. Urging listeners not to lose faith in the campaign for liberty and the quest to restore uh, the republic. Ron Paul spoke of reason to look ahead. We have to look for sources of optimism, ultimately, though all that happens to us is a result of philosophy and beliefs and convictions. And that is where I think we have made some inroads. We have drawn attention to the importance of monetary policy, the importance of the central bank, the importance of how government causes so much problems. It's just that we're the minority, Paul said. We have to continue to do what we're doing. You are in the business of passing on and spreading information that is, to me, the most crucial. Getting more people engaged, more people understanding what the issues are. Nothing else is more important than that. Then, when you see an opportunity, we had to turn this into a political action uh, uh he says then then you will see an opportunity to, have to turn this into political action. The congressman concluded mm-hmm. so he's saying we our next phase is an information phase of getting people to grasp this well uh, obviously when you see it and i'm not even talking about just the, the presidential thing but even the congressmen who voted for the bailout mm-hmm. who were who were overwhelmingly told not to do it and they voted them right back in that uh where does the problem lie is it with the new world order is it with the electorate you know the leadership or is it just the people sitting out there pulling the levers
2: well it's all of the above you know i mean you can't i don't you know the lever pullers wouldn't want to vote for good. They just don't realize that they're not. And whereas the New World Order people don't care.
0: I'm surprised they even take the energy to get up off their sofa and go to the ballot box. Well. They haven't taken the effort to go read anything other than what somebody's handed to them.
2: Well, you know, there was that whole rock the vote thing. And, you know, it's important to vote. I feel like you're doing your patriotic duty.
0: Yeah. Well, that's what we need more. Rocking the vote. Well, speaking of rocks, it looks like you have something that's old and stony. Yes. Unless you'd like to put another topic up there beforehand.
2: Well, what do you think? You call it. I'm calling. I'm going to go with the uh, James Ossuary. Ossuary. This is now for something completely different. Now for something completely different. This comes from Biblical Archaeology Review, which I read, I won't say semi-regularly, but I do read occasionally, more than occasionally. Somewhere between regularly and occasionally, mm-hmm. um, and one of the things that I've noticed is that the IAA, which is the Israel, uh, the Israel Antiquities Authority, uh, tries really hard to clamp down on, uh, well, Holy Land relics, first of all, but also specifically stuff that might involve biblical archaeologists, people... in
0: because of the political or religious issues involved? Because
2: of the political and religious religious issues involved. Mm-hmm. Now, they don't say that specifically, but from what I've seen, right. that is, I would say that is a valid hypothesis at least to explore. Mm-hmm. And uh, having said all that, that's sort of where this article comes from. Okay. Um, it's called the, uh, here it is, from the Biblical Archaeology Review by Herschel Sanks. I think he's the, I think he's even the lead, the, the, the lead editor. So okay. it's an interesting um Supporters of the James Ossuary inscriptions, authentic, uh, supporters of James Ossuary inscriptions, authentic, authenticity, excuse me, vindicated. The forgery trial of the century has all but blown up. The trial judge who will decide the case, there are no juries in Israel, has told the prosecution to consider dropping the case. Not every case ends in the way that you think it will when you start, Judge Aran Farkash told Prosecutor Adi Damat Uh, Damte in open court.
0: Are they going to explain what this is about, or do you need to tell the listeners who aren't?
2: Maybe we can save ourselves the rest. Um, I am getting to that. Sorry. In the most recent embarrassment of the Israel Antiquities Authority, the government star witness Yuval Gorin, former chairman of Tel Aviv University of Archaeology, was forced to admit in a cross-examination that there was an original ancient patina in the word Jesus, the last word in the inscription that read, James, son of Joseph, brother of Jesus. Uh what is this all about? Now I'll I'll get to it. I wanted to get I wanted to get down there to the legal. I just wanted people to know what you're talking about. I understand. I was getting there. I understand. I'm not gonna leave him hanging. I'm over here, I'm just staying quiet. Word to the motherland Okay. Um tell us bionic We've got this we've got this thing called an ossuary uh and they would put bones in it around first century A D. And I think it goes back It's a box. It's basically a stone box. Yeah. It's a stone box uh, with a lid, and they would put people's bones in it. They found this several years ago. Um, I believe it was. Uh, oh gosh, she was here. I can't. I can't find it. But the uh, a gentleman found this by digging like in in the floor of his house uh, in Jerusalem, and uh, immediately everybody called it a fake, and they said why, and it. Wound up in court. The IAA, the Israel Antiquities Authority, uh, immediately branded it, branded it a fake and took him to court. Why is
0: this one a big deal? I mean, they found a number of these. Why is this box of bones important?
2: Uh, because it says, James, son of Joseph, brother of Jesus. Okay. Which is interesting. Um, now, they're, you know, James was a fairly, you know, fairly regular name. And mm-hmm. so was Jesus. And so was Joseph. But to put them all in there together like that raises an interesting specter of uh, perhaps maybe this really is, uh, you know, James's ossuary. And, uh, you know, there's no real way to be conclusive about it. Now, but if this
0: was the James, you said the brother of Jesus? Mm-hmm. He was the one that was the um, the guy who ran the church in Jerusalem, right? Yes. The first one that died. Yes. Ran through with a sword in the book of Acts. Yes. Okay.
2: And they've interestingly, I believe the Israel Antiquities Authority has seized this, or at the very least said that nobody can do any sort of forensic studies on it uh, beyond, you know, checking for authenticity. They won't allow anybody mm-hmm. to open up and exhume the bones, checking, no. you know. Um so they've really, been, they've really been hammering this thing. There's, there, there are uh, archaeologists that they don't allow into Israel mm-hmm. because they don't agree with what they say. Yeah. I think Herschel Shanks might even be, the, be one of them. But don't quote me on that. Um, anyway, so that's the background. Yeah. Recent events have also proved humiliating for the IAA in connection with the committee and appointed, it appointed that supposedly came to a unanimous decision that the inscription is a forgery. In fact, several members of the committee expressed no opinion, but the IAA counted them as as yes votes. Okay. Several other members of the committee based their vote not on their own expertise, but on Yuval Yuval Gorin's supposed expertise, which they were in no position to evaluate. One member of the committee who would have found the inscription authentic said he was forced to change his mind based on Gorin's scientific arguments. No paleographer expert in the script of this period has found any paleographical problem with the inscription. Several scientists at the trial have undermined Gorin's scientific argument, and no other scientists have supported Gorin's arguments. Um, And then it just goes on, talking more about, you know, uh, Barr.
0: What do you think is the significance of this story? Uh, What caught your eye to bring that up today?
2: The... Well obviously the James well it's the thing that I follow is that the IA tries to clamp on clamp down very hard on uh uh people that don't bring stuff that that do I don't want to say it's illegal because it's not really illegal this guy owned the owned the mm-hmm. plot and exhumed it and found this box of bones uh and they went and they took and uh said no we're going to sue you we're going to uh take you to trial for this and he was said why and he said well because we believe it's a fake, it's a forgery, and everybody's been saying for years that uh, this is, in fact, at the very least authentic. It may not really be James, mm-hmm. uh, uh, son of Joseph, brother of Jesus, you know, the Jesus, right, right. son of God. Uh, but it, it exposes something that I think that, uh, is very mm-hmm. interesting in that the uh, IAA, the Israeli Antiquity Authorities, tries very hard to clamp down on mm-hmm. uh, archaeological discoveries.
0: Do they uh, also control the Dead Sea Scrolls? They do. I'm glad you brought that up. You're always one step ahead of me. That's uh, why they call you Dr. Future. But, I mean, those are all these kind of things that have immediate impact on the balance of power religiously, on what's true
2: in the past. Well, even, and if you go back and look at this stuff, it's crazy. The the first scroll, I believe, was found in like 1948, I believe. 47. Was it 47? Yeah. Uh, Okay. Uh, It was found in 1947. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And they didn't release that they had it for the longest time right. it went through several hands there was it was found by a bedouin uh, interestingly and this is one of those things that like makes me convinced that god has a little bit of a sense of humor it, it was the only intact scroll that they found was the first one mm-hmm. and it was the entire intact scroll of isaiah mm-hmm. you know right. a totally messianic the right. most possibly the most right. messianic Right.
0: And, it, and it's and it been in the news recently that there have been some other things found that were all talking about Jesus. In fact, even mm-hmm. within the guys within Kabbalah and certain sects of Judaism yes. that talked about how they, they knew
2: a long time that his name would be Jesus, mm-hmm. the and, Messiah. And getting back to the Dead Sea Scrolls specifically, uh, it went through several hands, and the Israelis set up these front companies to buy them from Arabs so the Arabs didn't know they were Israelis and mm-hmm. all this stuff. But eventually the Israelis got the scrolls, then took and clamped down on them for like 35 years. They, A lot of people didn't even know they existed until right. the 70s, right. in which, at which point they had found thousands possibly of scroll fragments. I believe there's, at the Qumran sign, there's seven, seven sort of mm-hmm. major caves and right. three or four other smaller caves. Uh, they clamped down on all of that stuff and said they didn't even have it, and then they weren't going to release them. And then somebody let slip, I believe, that, Oh, well, just for safekeeping, we left some microfilm at the Huntington Library in in, in yeah. uh, Huntington Beach, California. And then, you know, within 24 hours, it was this mad rush right, right. to go and see those.
0: Well, I understood they were st- still even controlling that they had parsed just portions out to different people. So it was yes. a fragmented control. Yeah, and they're
2: keeping it. The yeah. more I find out about that, yeah. uh, that's why I brought this article up.
0: Well, I have a uh, last request before I do a quick article here. That? Is it um if... If Dr. Future should keel over one day while we're doing the show or mm-hmm. whenever, I'd like for you to take me over to one of those caves and find Elisha's bones and just sort of throw me on his bones. Okay. Because the last guy that they did that to, he came back alive.
2: Okay. Well, now, I, I don't figure... know if
0: he's out of miracles or not because, you know, he was one shot. He asked for the double portion of the Holy Spirit over Elijah, mm-hmm. and Elijah did seven miracles. And then uh, what's Elisha the had did... done 13 while he was alive and then he was dead and then they this guy died in a party that was going past this area and they threw him in this thing to bury him and he landed on elijah's bones came back to life and did so he had the official 14 which by the way is two times seven Mm -hmm. um so i don't know if that's done if those bones are done but if they're still there i'd appreciate you taking well i'll tell
2: you what man if you want to do it or just leave just leave
0: me with with my savior that'd be fine i was
2: gonna say well you know you're gonna be with jesus so that's cool too yeah. But if if I do do that and you do come back to life, you're gonna to have to save one of those miracles for uh, making my car run better, because that's gonna make a big like miracle. Mean like you just grab
0: the jeep up in the cave and yeah. over his bones or something well, like that. Well, I
2: was that. gonna say my car runs so terribly, you know, we're gonna need it's gonna be Even a miracle. Even if it would just
0: heal your water pump and that oil leak would be.
2: I tell you, man. Yeah. If anybody if anybody I mean, has the gift of healing for cars, you have
0: anointed that thing with oil so many <laughs> times, the motor oil.
2: 10 W40s. <laughs> well,
0: let me let me get some quick words in here yeah, before we're running away. We're We're just about right. out of time already, boy. Right. Time goes by. You're having fun. We need like a 10 hour show nonstop. Uh, yeah. This is uh, just a. Uh, I can only hit the high spots. This is from Joseph Fira from editor of World Net Daily, who mm-hmm. was just on our yeah, show. I was going to say he was just on, right? He made some comments uh, after the election uh, with a real cheery title Is this the end of America? Question mark. Uh. For 232 years, America has been one of the boldest, most successful experiments in personal liberty in the history of the world. Today, many Americans are wondering whether that experiment has run its course, that we might be on the verge of trading our unique heritage of independent, sovereign, limited constitutional republicanism for interdependent globalism and virtually unlimited central government power, unbridled by constitutional and moral restraints. I am one of those wondering. That's him speaking. Mm-hmm. But me too. Uh, while I'm not prepared to throw in the towel and give up, I believe it is absolutely essential for those who share my concerns to reconsider their strategies in the f- in the future. Uh, he says, uh, "Let me tell you what the good news is about election day. The silver lining uh, beneath the dark cloud of Obama mania that has swept the country in a semi-hypnotic trance of euphoric irrationality." He said, uh, "Some people uh, have wildly misunderstood my book. None of the above." Um,
2: boy that's the truth
0: who talks about the uh, pragmatic inevitability of the election results he says even if John McCain had figured out a way to beat Barack Obama in 2008 America was going to be saddled with him four years from now in other words because of their disgust with McCain after four Um, he says Hmm. neither candidates have the answers to address America's most fundamental economic problems and the concerns that literally handed Obama the White House Uh, had McCain been elected his failed policy prescription bailouts Higher government spending disguises economic stimulus packages, uh, tax plans, on and on and on. Open immigration policies would have resulted in more misery, more dislocation, and pain. Uh, and so, anyway, just get to uh, what he says here in the end. He says, silver lining is that a re-energized Republican Party responsive to his base has a chance to make inroads in Congress just two years from now. Uh, and to find a new face of principled leadership for 2012. Um After all, don't we know that the Democrats' socialist agenda is going to fail? Doesn't socialism always fail? Didn't we go through this in the Jimmy Carter years? Um, He says there's going to be much pain in the next four years. Uh, And I expect Obama and the Democrats to press an agenda that's repressive and intended to keep them in power a thousand years. They will push to a fairness doctrine to muzzle free speech on the broadcast airwaves. So uh he says their policies will do two things: expose their own their own true natures, illiberal authoritarian thugs, and it will wreck the economy even further with no one else to blame. So uh, anyway, he he at one stuff. point one of his articles I saw he was even saying maybe it's time for the country the the states to really split up secede.
2: Wow, yeah, well, that's pretty strong. Anything, stuff. things are getting more and more out of control. Yeah, uh, anything's possible at this point.
0: Well, one thing I didn't get to, we'll talk about it some other time, time permits. Uh, the federal government now is now teaching Sharia financing. U.S. Treasury is teaching Islamic finance techniques. Yeah. And you've got something about yeah. uh, genetically modified crops and Indian farmers killing mm-hmm. themselves over it.
2: Uh, a couple of, I think a little while ago, Jimmy, Car- uh, Jimmy Carter, Prince Charles claimed uh, uh, that thousands of Indian farmers were killing themselves after using GM crops. Turns out he was totally correct. Oh yeah, my they mortgaged their farms it, to try and pay for this. It's stuff. pretty scary. What I'm agreeing with, Chris Charles. It's terrible, man.
0: Yeah. It's crazy. I'm sorry, we got to go. Let's get out of here. We got more stuff. Uh, come back next week. We got an incredible interview uh, next week. Uh, we'll thank you. Really, really enjoy it. Uh, until then, we hope you're. Oh, wait, wait, wait. We got to bring in Merv. Merv, yeah, come man. on in and tell everybody how to uh, hear more about Future Quake.
2: Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information During the radio broadcast. Okay,
0: now we're running late. All right. Any word? Let's get out of here. Okay, we gotta go. Thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen. Until then we hope your future is very bright. Have a good day. Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake.
1: There the There's revolution. Sweeping like a fresh new breeze Let the old world make believe Flying to death